there are two really common antifreeze main components, and that's ethylene glycol, and the other one is propyl glycol. So the ordinary ethylene glycol, which is the older one, if you like, which is normally a blue or a green one, normally I say, <laughs> they're fine because you're not interested in the anti-corrosion stuff um, as long as they won't damage seals. And most of these are working in washer systems and cars and that that have seals in them as well. The winter brings many challenges and some of these are unseen until it's too late. Frost can be helpful for tillage farms to break down soils for next year's planting, but also destructive in unprotected vehicles and sprayers. How well protected is your machinery from heavy frost this year? You're listening to the latest episode of The Tillage Edge with me, Michael Hennessy. We would really appreciate it if you could listen, follow and give us a review on Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcast from. The delayed autumn sowing and subsequent weed control has resulted in most sprayers being used over the last couple of weeks. These sprayers won't be needed for a few months, so the end of the season maintenance and winter preparation is needed on all sprayers. I'm delighted to be joined by Dermot Forrestal, a researcher in Chagas Oak Park, to talk about the essentials of ensuring your sprayer is safe until the spring. Dermot, before we start talking about frost protection in sprayers, you might remind us about the requirements about getting sprayers tested for the SUD regulations. Yeah, Michael, a lot of people, I think, are kind of forgetting that to some extent because, you know, there is sprayer testing is required under the SUD. So all basically all farm sprayers with booms at all uh, have to be tested. OK, so that's now a three year requirement in the initial phase for the first couple of years, way back in 2017 or so. Uh, there was five years given first. In other words, if you got your sprayer tested, you had five years for the next test. But that was only an introductory phase. It's all now three years. So anything really that was tested before 2021 is due to be tested again at this stage. And indeed, those that were tested during 2021 will need to be tested sometime during 2024 as well. So people will want to keep that in mind because a lot of people, you know, got the first test done, but now their test certificate is out of date. So it's something that needs to be looked at. And and a new sprayer as well, That's is that the same kind of rules? After it's three years old, it needs to be tested? Yes, after three years, the new sprayer needs to be tested, you know, okay. so... Now, there is a cost associated with it. Like there are independent testers doing it. Some are through dealerships. Some are doing it, um, you know, themselves with a with a, a kind of van type business or something like that. But the test itself is very, you know, is, is a good test. Um, and it's it's good to have your sprayer tested. And, and and the things that they test for will help ensure that you are doing a pretty good spraying job. So and just with, 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 with that in mind, Dermot, if, if a farmer is lining himself up maybe before the spraying season starts, what sort of checks should the farmer be doing on the sprayer just to make sure that he's kind of ready for that kind of test? Yeah, there's a couple of key things. I suppose the first thing is just pretty simply that there's no leaks or drips from the sprayer. So that's from any of the pipe work. You know, if you set the sprayer working under pressure, that you should have no drips from any of the pipe work, but also from the nozzles themselves, that the anti-drip units on the nozzles are all working on that. So that's probably the first thing. The next part really is about the, I suppose, the boom structure to some extent, that the boom should be level. Um across and not too much displacement forward and back you know you can't have sections of the boom hanging way back and so on so that you have a level boom that can kind of keep it uh, an even height over the crop the next one then after that really is the nozzles and the nozzle output that's key your filters have to be clean of course before that test so all filters should be clean the nozzles themselves you can get a graduated cylinder and a stopwatch and check that they're within spec in other words that they're all 
more or less given the same output and all close to the output that they should be given when they're new. And I suppose the final thing then is the, the, the pressure gauge. The pressure gauge will be tested during the test, so that has to be checked as well. And like while the farmer won't have equipment for doing that, if they fit some new nozzles onto the boom, you know, there's a there's a there's a set output for those, you know, ISO standard nozzles. So a blue nozzle has a set output that you can measure. And if you're not getting that output at the pressure on the gauge, um, and it's a good it's a good set of nozzles, then you'd have to suspect that the gauge itself is faulty. So those are the kind of basic things that you would do in advance of the test. Okay, but still might be a little bit in that, and certainly with asparagus, a little bit older in terms of the. Uh... Like you say, the nozzle uh, or the 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 the, the jets and the um, the anti drip mechanisms yeah, and all it, those yes. kind of things are kind yeah. of stuff that can go wrong quite quite easily. They can, and but like luckily, most most stuff on sprayers like that, it's not hugely expensive, you know. So you know, nozzles, uh, the diaphragms for those anti drip devices, um, all of those parts, even even a gauge, all of those parts, all of those parts are not too expensive. So it really is good practice. You're not doing it for the test, really. You're doing it for good spraying. The test is just a reminder for it. And yes, you do have to get the test done. So it is a good time, you know, particularly if we're talking about antifreeze later, if you're going to get the sprayer onto the tractor again, it's a good time to check it now at this stage. Uh, we have a couple of mild days now and mild days running into Christmas. So it is a good time to actually get out there, put some water in it and go through those checks. Um, and even if you're not for test this year, it's a good time to do it for next year anyhow. Okay. And I suppose talking about mild days, we're lucky enough we're in mild days now at the moment, so there's no worries about sprayer. But switching back into, I suppose, last week, there were a number of frosts there, some maybe heavier than others, maybe across the country. Do you think there was any temperatures low enough out there this you know over that, over that week or so that might have caused a bit of harm? Yeah, there def- definitely was, Michael. Like, I mean, we got down to, I think, minus six there some of the days in some parts for sure. So once you go below freezing at all, there's a risk. Um you're right to, to, to kind of imply that the longer the cold period and the colder the temperatures, the more harm it's going to do, because everything has, has a certain about amount of heat in it. So it's about heat loss, how quickly you're going to lose that heat. But if you had a sprayer outside exposed, water in the booms, uh, water in the pump, and, you know, you had minus six for one or two nights, uh, it'll certainly cause damage, you know, because, but then most sprayers are probably, or might be in sheds and you might have a little bit more leeway. But a minus six, if you got a couple of, you know, a minus six followed by cold days and a minus six again, yes, that'll have no problem doing harm, you know. It'll actually build up, as you say, the 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 heat to be gone out of it, and actually the cold yes. will build up as much as anything else. And 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 you mentioned the shed scenario there. Is that a shed that it's it's kind of closed in on all sides, or is that backed into as most you'd see in most farms, kind of backed into an open sided shed, if you like? Yeah, look, if it's if it's open sided and like if it's open on all sides, it's not going to be any great different than being outside. But normally, I suppose in a machinery shed, you'd have some parts of it maybe closed in, some maybe a little bit sheltered, so it it won't go down so quick. So hopefully, any sprayers that were in that scenario if they didn't have antifreeze in them if they hadn't the the booms drained out hopefully there isn't too much damage done like i suppose a boom damage is probably the least uh important not the least important but the split sections of the of the boom which is common it's very common to happen from from ice um that's not going to cost you a huge amount of money but if you if you have ice in some of the control units or and then in the pump itself or something like that it could cause a lot of damage 
And, and talking about that in terms of, obviously, it's only going to cause damage if there's water in there in the first place. In terms of draining a machine, uh, a sprayer, how difficult or is that, is that even possible in some of the more complicated machines? I, I think it's very difficult. Now, I think, look, everybody probably knows, might know their own sprayer, go to the manual. There might be drainage procedures, you know, specified for the particular ones or whatever. But it is difficult to say that every part of that uh, sprayer is drained and it is difficult to do. So that's really why in most uh, manufacturers themselves or whatever would recommend that you do put an antifreeze solution in it because it is just so hard to, to be sure that every component um, is actually is actually drained. And that comes into it when you actually add the antifreeze in because you have to remember there's there's going to be water in there. Um, there's going to be some water in there. So in terms of dilution, you have to be careful that way as well. So yes, I think that, that the best practice is probably to add some antifreeze. By all means, try and you know, get as much water out of it as possible. And to do that, you know, you'll be opening maybe end caps and booms because remember those diaphragm check valves, the anti-drip valves in the nozzle will mean that without pressure behind it, the water won't drip out of those booms. So you do have to open either a nozzle body or the, the caps on the end of the booms to try and get those um, uh, water free, if you like. But I think in practice, you are talking about the easier and probably the only way to be sure is to add some antifreeze. Okay. And and talking about antifreeze, there's, I don't know, you'd often see different color type ones. There's yellow ones and red ones and all sorts of different types of ones. Is there, does it make any difference, the type that, that we should be trying to, to, to gather for, for a sprayer? It, it probably doesn't uh, in the case of a sprayer. Now, look, everything I say here about that is, look, consult the manufacturer's manual uh, just to be sure. But I think most of the antifreezes and the different colors that you're talking about, uh, they're really to do with technology that will help in engines to prevent corrosion of car or tractor engines and so on. And they're to do with the additives that are put in the antifreeze to, uh, if you like, prevent corrosion and indeed to have additives that last a long time so you can extend the change interval in cars. So you have these organic acid technology ones, which are often a kind of a orange pink, but you can't go completely by the color. But to go back to basics again, there are two um, really common antifreeze main components, and that's ethylene glycol, and uh, the other one is propyl glycol. And um, so the ordinary ethylene glycol, which is the older one, if you like, which is normally a blue or a green one, normally I say, <laughs> um, they're fine because you're not interested in the anti-corrosion stuff um, as long as they won't damage seals. And most of these are working in water systems in cars and that that have seals in them as well. But, um, you know, those those older ones are probably, are those, sorry, I don't say older, basic ones are probably fine um, in sprayers. So there's no need to go to the more expensive long life ones because they're just adding additives to prevent engine corrosion in car or tractor engines. Okay, so bringing us through the the, the procedure then, Dermot, um, in terms of the the volumes that might be needed on a smaller versus a larger type of sprayer, or you know how dilute should the antifreeze be? How much water do you put into it? Because obviously you're going to need a bit of water to circulate it around all the lines anyway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's a kind of a minimum, and again, some of the manuals might give you some of this information. So by all means, consult those first. So I think you're talking about. You know, having, uh, I suppose, in a smaller mounted sprayer, um, 
you probably want 20 or 25 litres of liquid within that sprayer to make sure you can spray around it, okay? And if you're going to a bigger trail sprayer, it's probably 30, 40 or 50 litres of mixed water, if you like, antifreeze mix, to make sure it goes around it, some, somewhere in that region. But if you go back then, most of these, you, by all means, buy, buy the antifreeze as a concentrate, Right, not as a coolant, not as a ready-made coolant. Again, that ready-made coolant is is to do with anti-corrosion and for engines. And you pay more for the ready-made coolant if you like for the same. So they're not diluted at all. The ready-made coolants. And as a matter of fact, if you threw them into a sprayer, you might not get the level of cover that you need if there's a lot of water in the sprayer already. So you're talking about trying to end up with a concentration of about thirty percent of um, the antifreeze product. So um, typically what you might do is, is it, with a, where you're looking for a 20 liter, um, if you're, if you're, but you need, sorry, you need to mix the a, a little bit uh, stronger than that. In other words, the, the additional water you'd add, I would go, say to people, go for a 50% mix because you can assume there's water in there already, uh, in the sprayer already. So what you would do maybe in your smaller sprayer is add about five or six litres of the concentrated uh, antifreeze. And you top that up then with another six or eight, you know, six or eight litres maybe of water, something like that. And you'd have roughly a 50% mixture gone in, but there's water in there already. And that should bring you up to maybe about 20 litres in the mixed product there. But it, You'll easily know because if you haven't enough in there and you try and work the sprayer, turn on and off all the different sections, get it circulating through every part of it, you know, from the fill induction hopper through the recirculation so that you have literally mixed antifreeze in every part. And what you want to do then is literally turn on the booms and get that material coming out of the booms. You'll see the blue color. You'll see the uh, the pointed when it comes out. So if you haven't, if it hasn't actually come out of the boom, you didn't have enough in there in the first place. Okay. So at that stage, then, uh, Dermot, you is there a way? I presume if that happens, then you're fairly confident that there's sufficient in the pump at that stage. Oh yeah. If you if you're getting you know your blue color or your your antifreeze out through the nozzles. You're pretty sure. As a matter of fact, the pump will be the first part to have got circulated because straight away it'll come from the base. It'll come through the, the induction hopper, but it will go through the pump very quickly before it's even brought into the, the, the tank of the sprayer. And then you can, when you switch then from the filling mode to the spraying mode, which is what I was basically talking about, that you're switching through all of those modes to get it through all of the pipework. The last one you'll go to is the spraying mode itself. So at that point, you should have nearly everything uh, with a bit of antifreeze in it. And you're down at this point to the booms itself. Now, to be, to be honest, as I said earlier, if you're a little bit light on it in the booms, it's probably not the end of the world. You will we'll crack the booms and you'll be replacing pipes, uh, but that's not as bad as replacing other parts. But yeah, you should see the antifreeze coming out of each nozzle, if you like. So the water will push out first, followed by the, the antifreeze mix. And at that stage then, in terms of the, 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 the booms, is there any need then to take off the caps at the end? I think you mentioned that before. Or can you fairly well assume that, look, there's antifreeze in it, it's after spraying around or it's after getting to all of the, 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 the jets and nozzles out there. So therefore the spray lines must be good as well. And, and you can just 
put it away and away you go. Yeah, I think you probably can do the latter. Do you know what I mean? If you're, you're sure you've got it through all of the boom, there should be absolutely no problem and shouldn't be a need to drain that boom. But there's no harm in draining it either. You know, there's nothing. Uh, the only thing I'd be a little bit careful is that when you are spraying out this material, not to let it go into drains so that ethylene glycol isn't, um, you know, it is toxic in itself. Um in the environment, I suppose, if it's sprayed out onto something, it's probably not too bad. But, I mean, if an animal or something drank it or something like that, it is, it is a bit dangerous. So just to be careful that you don't have a pooling anywhere um, by opening out um, drains, you should actually try and capture that material again, really, by right. You know? And I suppose that leads on to the next question quite nicely, I suppose, in terms of, look, there's we can have probably relatively heavy frost all the way up until April, I suppose, really, depending on the years, I suppose. So, uh, you know, it depends on when the frosts are there that the sprayer would have to be protected nonetheless. In terms of that antifreeze that was put into the sprayer, is it is it possible to, to I suppose, recycle or recapture some of that to, to reuse it again? Or, or is that something that's a once-off oh, yeah. kind of scenario? For sure, if there's enough in there to get some out. Now, remember, when you finish this process, if you didn't put a lot in there, there's probably not a lot going to come back out for you um, because without actually rinsing it out, right? But if there is enough to come out, of course, it can be recycled. All I would say, though, is that this now is the dilute product, right? It's like your coolant, if you like. It's the dilute product. So you would need to top it up with another bit if you're throwing it back in again. But certainly you can you can put it back in again and it will be good practice to do that rather than let, letting it off into the environment in some way, you know. So a farmer then a farmer then is there Derma, trying to trying to maybe uh, trying trying to uh, recycle a little bit of this and trying trying to get some of it back out of it. In terms of the bit that's left in the sprayer, um uh, does the sprayer need to be washed out totally with, with water before they might go with say perhaps oilseed rate might be the next thing that's going to be done in terms of a bit of disease control. Would that that need to be washed out, or does it four or five or ten or fifteen liters of of dilute antifreeze make any difference to a, a large tank of stuff? I'd have a bit of caution there. I would rinse it out. I think I wouldn't go washing the feeling that you're going to have to fill the tank or whatever. So I would set the wash system on the tank going or spraying around the sides or whatever, and get that material out. I think you look. You're just in a safer position. You're not going to find any of the chemical companies uh, supplying fungicides or herbicides saying that it's probably safe to put ethylene glycol with it. A small amount probably is going to do absolutely no harm. I still think it would be good practice to rinse out the antifreeze before you put in any other chemicals in it. Sure, sounds, sounds very sensible. And I suppose just the last thing to ask you about, um, all well and fine having the sprayers and trying to have a go at that, but if you can't start a tractor in the first place, that's probably the trickier part, or as tricky at least anyways. In terms of tractors, is there a few things that farmers should maybe be watching out for um, you know, as we get as we continue in this kind of cold spell? Yeah, I think, look, it's just the cold weather is going to put pressure on, on, on starting systems of tractors, absolutely. Now, it depends on your, your age of tractor and condition of tractor and that, but you do need to look at all kind of connections, electrical connections from the battery to the starter, the basics, right? And that even applies on modern equipment. The very basics need to be right. If you have corroded uh, connections or things like that, it's on the cold morning, and that's when they're really going to come into play. In other words, poor transmission, of current across those and you know on a cold morning that could be the difference between a start and a not starting the other thing to just look at is the battery itself again modern tractors they have alternators every one of them um 
probably will keep the battery well charged, but batteries do get to the end of life. So you need to be uh, kind of mindful of that and you'll probably find that out on the coldest of mornings. Okay, so the thing to watch though is the replacement battery. Again, to look at the spec that's there for the battery. It's not just the physical dimensions to fit into the battery tray and to have the terminals at the right point. What's important is that it is the correct um, delivery of power, the correct power available in that battery to start it. In the past, that was normally just amp hour rating, right? You might have had a, a 70 amp hour in a small tractor up to 90, 110 or more amp hour in the larger tractors. Um, but more important probably than that is that the coal starting capacity, um, you know, that there's, there, there are, there's, there's two ways of, of doing that. There's a CCA. Um, figure on the batteries. Sometimes it might be a CCA of around 800 amps. That means it can deliver 800 amps of uh, power, 800 at whatever voltage, which gives you the power, if you like, to start. It can do that for 30 seconds at minus 18 degrees C. That's that's the kind of standard that's there. So to look at that figure on the battery that you have, to look at that figure in the instruction manual, if you have it, and to ensure that your replacement ba- battery has at least that same CCA figure, because that's what's going to get you out of trouble on a cold morning. Yes, you need to have the amp hour rating correct. But if you have a choice between uh, a high CCA figure and a low one, always go for the high one, because that's what's going to give you the reserve in those in those conditions. There's another figure as well called the reserve capacity, and that's given in minutes. But uh, you can you can you can look at that as well. And the higher the value of that, the better as well. But I would go by the amp hour rating. And by the CCA, which is the kind of cold start delivery um, figure. So those are those are important things to look at when you're talking about replacing uh, tractor batteries or indeed car batteries. Well, Dermot, as always, you're a mind of information and there's always something every time I'm talking to you uh, in, in terms of the technical specs that people should be looking out for. And I hope we don't get to the minus 18 degrees where we're all probably in trouble at that stage. But uh, listen, thanks very much for your time. Um, delighted you could join us again um, and uh, happy Christmas to you. Okay, no problem. Same to you, Michael. So that's it for this week. And my thanks to Dermot for joining me on the show. Next week, we'll be joined by Phelan Dolan from Comics McKinnon to chat about the grain markets and what these might hold for the future months. So finally, don't forget if you enjoyed the podcast and recommend it to a friend or colleague. And as always, rate, review and follow on Apple or Spotify so you never miss an episode. And for more information, go to chagas.ie. I'm Michael Hennessy. Thanks for listening. I'll be back next week with more tillage news and advice.